All right, folks, welcome back to the show. We got a very special one for you today, so please stick around for that. I just wanted to start by welcoming you back. Uh, I know it's been a little while since we put out an episode, uh, so thanks for sticking with us. I've been on a number of different uh, little mini vacations before the school semester starts up next week, so um, thank you for your patience. I really appreciate it, and thank you, as always, for listening to the show. Uh, That's the biggest way that you can support us is to continue listening and to tell your friends and family about it uh, or tell other people you come in contact with who listen to podcasts, so let them know. And also like and share it on your social media platforms. Anywhere that you see us post it, please like and share. And let's get those little tendrils out there even further. Uh, You can also donate to the podcast. Optional. Uh, It is not required. This is a free show. Uh, But donations are welcome to help us pay the bills and help us get uh, better equipment and to get people into the podcast who might need to travel um, so yeah, you guys can donate. There should be a link at, at the bottom of whatever app you're using. And as always, please go support our YouTube page. That's the Mind Ops YouTube page, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. For all the Mind Ops stuff, uh, make sure that you have that hyphen in there or else you'll be directed to a different site. So M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com and Mind Ops YouTube page. So go check those out, folks. Here is some Arturo Complex for your listening pleasure.
Okay, today's good news story comes from the goodnewsnetwork.org. And the title of the article reads, Generous Americans are actually giving more to charities through the pandemic, survey says. Um, I found this to be quite an interesting article because... um, It is not something that we all get to uh, see others doing all the time. It's not something that we necessarily are aware of, uh, just how much others are giving. I know that we're aware of how much we're giving during this time. Um, I know uh, my wife and I and uh, my friends and I, when we go out to eat, especially during this pandemic, uh, we try and, and... do our best to you know put ourselves in the shoes of those restaurant owners and those uh, servers and those cooks that are out there and the the uh, cleaning crews that are doing their jobs uh, during this pandemic putting themselves at risk for our benefit so um, I know that we like to over tip during these times I think yesterday we went out for a, a Mexican um, Mexican food lunch I think our bill was like 25 bucks and uh, the restaurant was just dead, and there was only one server there uh, with the owner. And, um, you know, people are just not making the kind of money they need to to support their families, especially with more and more people staying home. So um, this is not a, a virtue signal or anything, but just to, to give an example, in comparison, we gave like a 30-something dollar tip for a $25 bill. Um, and, you know, only to just help the, the server help her out a little bit and it really left us feeling um good good that we were able to uh extend you know graciously the things that were given to us um you know we we are fortunate enough to have jobs and um you know we're still struggling college students but we have more than a lot of people do and uh we we try and spread it around as much as possible so i thought this was a really cool article um, talks about, uh, there's all sorts of numbers in here, so I'm going to throw some at you. Uh, let's see, 34% of people are donating more um, than last year. Uh, let's see, a lot of people donating to local relief funds uh, or sending money to directly to loved ones who were laid off uh, due to COVID. 56% say they were making recurring donations to the same charity or organization once per month or more often. Um just really, really cool uh, numbers people uh, giving. Let's see. Um, yeah, this is a cool one. Heavy-duty giving, so people giving um, anything larger than $300. Uh, the heavy-duty giving is up by 667%, so a lot more people are giving large amounts. Um, it doesn't go into the demographics of who these people are that are that are giving but uh whoever filled out this survey i i assume that they put it out to a uh, a diverse population i'm not sure so much about the response rates from each demographic but seems interesting um let's see a total of 3.4 billion has been donated in 2020 so far i mean that's a huge amount um let's see Together, donor, donors directed a whopping 667% increase in their grants to food banks and other food assistance programs across the states. Uh, all good news. So um, as you look around, you might not see the people giving um, or corporations or companies or nonprofits giving, but they are. Uh, they're giving a lot, and we can all do our part by giving just a little bit more if, if even if we feel like we don't have much to give 
Um, I'm telling you, there are people out there less fortunate than you who are giving more than you. And um, I, don't, I don't know what it is about giving, but it seems to influence uh, the happiness quota of our lives. So the more we give, the happier we seem to be. Really cool, good news story there. Okay, conversation with my mind. I want to get into this first, um, and this is sort of going to be like a two-part series, uh, only because I've recently just finished two books. But this, what's been on my mind recently, and I want to put a, put this question out to you guys: is uh, what are you currently reading? Um, so I recently finished this book called "The Biology of Belief." Unleashing the Power of Consciousness, Matter, and Miracles by Dr. Bruce Lipton. Have any of you guys read that? I found it to be pretty interesting. Um, He comes at spirituality and belief and faith from a place of uh, biology, which was really fascinating. Usually um, those two things um, starkly contrast each other in the literature, but he brings it together really nicely. Um... And just a couple little quotes I want to read to you from this book. Um, And then, yeah, we'll get on with the show. Okay, so first is a a quote that the author took from Albert Einstein that I just love. And um, Albert Einstein is one of my favorite people. Um, But I, I consistently find new things that he says that seem more and more in line with my belief systems. Uh, I first thought that, uh, you know, Albert Einstein was purely mathematical scientist, um, you know, academian, but um, later in his life, he was pulled more and more towards uh, spiritual aspects and um, the unknown, which was really cool to see sort of his intellectual evolution into a more holistic person towards the end of his life, something that I'm trying to do as well. But this quote says, the most beautiful and profound emotion we can experience is the sensation of the mystical. It is the power of all true science. So think about that for a little bit. And I know there's a lot of people out there uh, who are kind of stuck in the scientific paradigm, uh, unfortunately unable to see outside of that um, constrictive box. Um, but the mystical experience that I'm so fascinated by or altered states or uh, higher levels of consciousness, these are all things that science has not yet discovered ways to um, put their finger on nor uh, nor maybe should they be able to because uh, science is just a tool and it's a limited tool and um, it can only describe as far as we know things that um, are effable um, and we're talking here about things that are ineffable things that go beyond um, the physical matter of the human being um, and you know with quantum physics and things like that making more prominent uh, emergence in our social consciousness. We're starting to understand that science does explore some of these, um, some of these higher uh, or quantum levels of consciousness. And there are ways that we can explore them, although maybe not um, under the microscope or things like that, but there are ways that we can explore them through inner journeys. Pretty cool stuff. All right. So I'm going to read you this, uh, this, um, little bit this little quote or this little um passage from the book see how you like it see how it sits with you i had it marked to share with you all never have we needed the insights of such a worldview more 
When science turned away from spirit, its mission dramatically changed. Instead of trying to understand the natural order so that human beings can live in harmony with that order, modern science embarked on a goal of control and domination of nature. The technology that has resulted from pursuing this philosophy has brought human civilization to the brink of spontaneous combustion by disrupting the web of nature. The evolution of our biosphere has been punctuated by five mass extinctions, including the one that killed the dinosaurs. Each wave of extinction nearly wiped out all life on this planet. As I mentioned in Chapter 1, science now acknowledges that we are deep into the sixth mass extinction. Unlike the others caused by the galactic forces such as comets, the current extinction is being caused by a force much closer to home, humans. As you sit on your porch and watch the sunset, note its spectacular color. The beauty in the sky reflects the pollution in the air. As the world we know decays, the earth promises us even greater light shows. Meanwhile, we are leading lives without a moral context. The modern world has shifted from spiritual aspirations to a war for material accumulation. The one with the most toys wins. My favorite image for the scientists and technologists who have championed this path and led us into this spiritless world comes from the Disney movie Fantasia. Remember Mickey Mouse as the hapless apprentice to a powerful sorcerer? The sorcerer instructs Mickey to do the chores of the lab while he was away. One of the chores is to fill the giant cistern with water from a nearby well. Mickey, who has been observing the sorcerer's magic, tries to bypass the chore by applying a spell to a broom, which turns it into a water bucket carrying lackey. When Mickey falls asleep, the robotic broom fills and then overfills the cistern, flooding the lab. Upon awakening, Mickey tries to stop the broom, but his knowledge is so limited, he fails, the situation gets even worse. The water takes over until the sorcerer, who does, who does have the knowledge to quiet the broom, returns and restores balance. Here's how Mickey's predicament is described in the movie. This piece is a legend about a sorcerer who had an apprentice. He was a bright young lad, very anxious to learn the business. As a matter of fact, he was a little too bright because he had started practicing some of the boss's magic tricks before learning how to control them. Today's very bright scientists are Mickey Mousing around with our genes and our environment without understanding how interconnected everything is on this planet, a course of action bound to have tragic results. How did we get to this point? There was a time when it was necessary for scientists to split from the realm of spirit or at least the corruption of spiritual awareness by the church. This powerful institution was in the business of suppressing scientific discovery when it was at odds with church dogma. It was Nicholas Copernicus, a savvy politician as well as a gifted astronomer, who launched the spirit-science split when he released to the public his profound manuscript De Revolutionibus Oribium Colestium on the revolution of the heavenly spheres. The 1543 manuscript boldly declared that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the heavenly spheres. This is obvious today, but in Copernicus's time, it was heresy because his new cosmology was at odds with the infallible church truth, which had declared the earth to be the center of God's firmament. Copernicus believed that the Inquisition would destroy both him and his heretical beliefs, Sorry, so he prudently waited until he was on his deathbed to publish his work. His concern for his safety was fully justified. Fifty-seven years later, Giordano Bruno, a Dominican monk who had the uh, temerity to speak out and defend Copernicus' cosmology, was burned at the stake for this heresy. 
Copernicus outsmarted the church. It is hard to torture an intellectual when he is in his grave. Unable to kill the messenger, the church eventually had to deal with Copernicus's message. Pretty cool excerpt. Just um, summing up a bit of the historical background of how we got into this scientifically minded paradigm and where we originally um, felt that split between science and spirit. It wasn't always... um, wasn't always separated as it is today and um, I think that was to its detriment as science was trying to stand alone as a um, dominating force in uh, you know in people's minds it it uh, it let go of some really good stuff and you know part of my <clears throat> part of my goal my research is to bridge those gaps once again bring science back into the main or uh, spirit back into the mainstream of science and get back on that train. All right, guys. So today's guest, very special guest today, um, Andrew Walsh. Now, Andrew is a sound therapist in training. Um, he's also um, training in psychosomatic therapy, and uh, he he described his passion for me, uh, or passion to me, uh, when it comes to why he's going into these kind of training programs. He says he wants to help people get to know themselves, and I thought that was just so beautiful. Um, that's really, that's really all I do as a therapist too, is help people get to know their true selves, you know, their, their selves that they keep buried and locked, um, behind ego, uh, you know, ego walls and, and, um, you know, distorted thoughts and things like that. We try and rework that story to people, to get people to, to know themselves better. Um, he's exploring Eastern traditions a lot. Uh, he has a master's degree in chemistry. And if you guys want to uh, contact him, um, you can do so via email. I'll provide that in the description link below. And also, um, he's currently building his website, which should be up very soon. So check back in with that. It's pathway.com, P-A-T-H-W-E-I.com. Without further ado, let's get into today's uh, discussion with Andrew Walsh. with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, welcome back, folks. Welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, Shane Lamaster. We're here for episode number 82 with Andrew Walsh. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Shane. How are you? I'm doing all right. I mean, uh, I've recognized, you know, recently my consciousness, you know, it's oscillating between, so I've been working on like this spiritual path for a long time and like focusing up here in this higher vibration of consciousness, but with all that's going on in the world, you know, it's triggering old uh, survival primalistic energies um, and it's sort of oscillating. It's like fluctuating between the two. So, I'm managing it as best as possible, trying not to engage in old habits, but um, 
you know, trying to find a, a smoother way through it. How about yourself? Yeah, I can definitely identify with that. Um, you know, first the the COVID pandemic when that sprung its head, and then when the protests started going through. Um, both times, at the very beginning, I just saw myself consuming a lot of media and noticing how it worked myself up into this frenzy, and I, I, I had to take a step back, you know, disconnect from the phone, disconnect from the media. Um, and then I was, you know, able to notice that difference, that calm that was able to settle in a little bit easier. Um, and so having those back to back and just seeing myself react in a similar, but, you know, a little bit better about it this time, I feel like, because I'm aware of the habits that will get me into that frenzy. And I'm also practicing the habits to bring me back down to that calm. Nice. So I only ask one like standard question on the show and it's always, the first question, and that is, um, you know, and it ties back into what you were just saying. Um, the show is called Conversations with the Mind. And so I'm wondering when you hear that phrase, Conversations with the Mind, how does that resonate? What comes up for you? Like, what sort of ideas flow through your head when you hear that phrase, Conversations with the Mind? And how does it show up in your life? Yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a really cool name, first of all. And, um, I think the way that it resonates for me is like the mind has all these thoughts like like with the pandemic and all this frenzy that's going on it's kind of shooting these thoughts every which way at you and your your consciousness is trying to really have a conversation with it you're saying like okay what's what's actually happening here and how can we get to know what's going on and how can we process it how can we integrate it um and it's very the name seems very um not diplomatic um but approachable right it's like we're trying to have a discussion we're not trying to attack we're not trying to dismiss or anything we're just trying to have a discussion and gain information so that we can improve yeah it's interesting um you know, I don't know if you listen to uh, other podcasts, but Joe Rogan um, has this idea, and I think it's a really clever yeah. idea about this aspect of consciousness about thought and ideas and things like that, especially right now, right? Like trying to pay attention to what comes through this mental filter. And these ideas that, um, you know, ideas are things that they have physical presence out in um, the field, you know, out sure. yeah. of us, and that our brain interacts with these ideas that are floating around in space. And some of these ideas are not our own. And, um, you know, including, you know, the example of media, right? So those ideas that you're reading are not your own. They're somebody else's, right? So you can think about it in that tangible way. But otherwise, you know, you go outside and, and you have these thoughts to yourself, but some of those might not be yours either. Some of those might be sort of what's just floating around and percolating. And you have to be able to distinguish like which thoughts are useful, which ones are not useful. And you're talking yeah. about um, engaging habits too. I'm wondering what sort of strategies you, you're using. Uh, yeah, in, in terms of practices to kind of help keep me grounded and maintain that center. Um, so the first one that I've been practicing daily uh, is Qigong. And... Um, Qigong, if I'm not sure how familiar you are, but yeah, I am, um, but the audience might not be. Okay. 
Oh, okay. Um, well, it's this chi ancient Chinese health system, um, and it's similar to Tai Chi in that you're using movements to help move energy to different parts of the body. Um, also, those movements help in cleansing certain areas of the body, helping to clear thoughts and you know bring a more harmonious balance to your mind, your body, aligning those things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had a course on it at least a year ago that I that I started up, and uh, since I've been doing it daily, I. I can notice when I don't do it, if that makes sense. Uh, same thing uh, with my other habit of meditation, where if I, if I don't do it, I notice how irritable I can be. Um, I notice how maybe off or maybe a lack of energy. And um, so th those would be my two, main, my two main habits that I use in my routine pretty much every morning and every night and um what else am i doing um oh well i've been exploring different types of meditation too so the one that i'm most familiar with and have been practicing for the longest time is mindfulness meditation basically keeping track of your breath keeping track of bodily sensations um re releasing your attention from certain thoughts that hold them and then kind of returning back to wherever you're anchoring your attention. Um, but recently I've been practicing the loving kindness meditation, which is, I would kind of almost group that with like a gratefulness meditation. Um, and then also uh, this whole, this whole last month uh, transcendental meditation, which um, I, I can't really, give it a fair evaluation because I feel like a month isn't necessarily uh, a just uh, yeah enough time to really feel the benefits or um, to really know what it's about. But I can say that I have reached some pretty deep states of that, that no thought, uh, almost like a jhana state, if you're, if you're familiar with that. And, um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to continue to practice that and see where it takes me. Nice, man. Um, I love all that. Uh, the first thing about the Qigong, um, you know, yeah. I come from a, what would be considered like hard, hard martial arts, right? So, you know, right. arts, uh, Muay Thai, Sambo, and then Jiu-Jitsu too, you know, very physical, um, external martial arts. And I found great value internally from that, like a lot of internal growth, a lot of loss of the ego, a lot of these Absolutely, things. yeah. And so I view, um, and oftentimes, you know, Qigong, Tai Chi, um, they're seen by the harder martial arts community as being like, well, they're termed soft martial arts or not even martial right. arts at all. Um, yeah. But I would, I would argue that they're more... They're not, I mean, yeah, they're soft, but they're not, uh, they're not about developing the external. They're, they're like an internal martial art, right? Like you're, you're fighting against yourself to learn how to control this flow of energy through the body uh, or learn to work with it rather than fight it, I should say. Um, yeah. So I, I like that idea of internal martial arts. And then uh, the meditation stuff, man, I, I love how diverse meditation is, right? So many yeah. people, especially here in the West, 
you know, have this stereotypical view of meditation, which is usually most aligned with uh, Zen meditation or the no mind meditation, yeah. but there's literally thousands of types of meditation for different aspects of the mind, uh, meditations on yeah. death, loving kindness, compassion generation meditations, meditations for peace, for performance. I have a background in sport yeah. performance psychology, so uh, visualizations and imagery to try and like get yourself to perform at peak. Um, so I love the diversity. I haven't um, gotten too deep into transcendental specifically, but from what I know about it, I mean, just the word transcendental, um, you know, sort of has this resonance about like transcending your humanness, you know, going a little bit beyond just what it means to be a physical human, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, so transcendental meditation, I also was not super familiar with it until about a month ago. Um, and there's this um, this online course called Masterclass, and they uh, they have basically like a bunch of celebrities that kind of teach uh, classes like Neil deGrasse Tyson has one, Gordon Ramsay, all, all kinds of stuff like that. And I stumbled upon um, this cinematographer's video uh, who was able to explain transcendental meditation pretty well, at least uh, for me. And the way that he kind of described it was you're going, the, the reason it's called transcendental meditation is because, like you said, you are transcending. The mind has all these different layers, right? You have your conscious mind and then your unconscious mind, subconscious, and, it, and it'll go down. But eventually you'll get to this point where it's no longer mind. You start to enter into the field or the quantum field where all potentiality, all possibility exists. And so you're kind of transcending those levels and going straight to the field. Um, and, and the way that you do that, um, it's so funny because there's like a transcendental meditation organization that has sort of trademarked and uh, coined this term, which I see kind of, I have an issue with, I guess. But, um, but basically you have one sort of phrase, uh, a mantra, that is not associated with anything. It could literally just be a couple syllables or just a random sound. And you repeat that mantra in your head over and over and over again. And kind of, I, I believe the idea behind it is that you're focusing on this mantra that has no association with it, no meanings, no affiliations. And by doing that, you're conceptually focusing on nothing. And so by focusing on nothing, you are actually transcending those levels of mind into the field. And so I can't say if I've for sure gotten to you know, that, that level, but there have definitely been some times where I felt very calm, very clear, and even if thoughts or things do come in, it's not like they grab my attention. You know, they, they kind of just like rebound a little bit and they kind of bounce off easily, like effortlessly, in fact. Um, and so, yeah, I've been practicing that for about a month and I'll, I'll keep working at it just to kind of see if there's, if, you know, I can get anything else deeper into it. But it, it is pretty interesting. I, I do enjoy that idea of, transcending beyond those levels of mind and 
focusing on nothing, I think the reason behind that is because they believe that your your mind and your body will naturally gravitate towards a state of harmony. So if you are if you can focus on nothing, then you will just automatically start shifting to that that joy, that fulfillment, and being grateful. Nice, I like that a lot. Um, your video froze on me, but that's okay. I can still hear you, so it'll catch okay. up. Uh, no, it'll catch up. Um, it's interesting because um, you know the way you talk about transcendental. You know, the mantra work is great, and I use a lot of mantra work um, for other reasons. You know, for if I'm about to step on the mat for a jujitsu competition, like I have a specific mantra yeah. that I repeat to myself over and over, but it's to elicit a very specific mental state that I find most productive for my application, right? Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of focusing on nothingness and, and the way you describe consciousness, right, as this peeling back of layers. And uh, for those who are just listening and can't see the video, um, you know, you sort of described it as this descending. Uh, the transcendence is, is the lower, you know, this the lowest level of, of the layer or the lowest layer, uh, pure consciousness yeah. maybe, the field. Whenever I've thought of consciousness, um, my my thought tends to go towards like higher and higher states, right? So yeah, it's, it's multi-layered, but then above those layers are higher and higher states of consciousness or the, um, the emergence or connection to the field. So now, now that your description makes a ton of sense too, going down deeper and deeper. So I'm wondering yeah. if it's like a two-sided thing, right? Where in the middle is like human consciousness and you can go down in the levels uh, to get into the field, but you can also go, you can transcend up through the levels, through higher states and also reach um, the field. It's almost like uh, this dual polarity. Yeah, so that, that gives me an idea. So maybe like as you go deeper into these fields of consciousness, you're kind, you are raising your vibration. So like as you go deeper inside, the, the, vi the higher the vibration, the lower the field you're going into. And, it's, and I guess the way that I'm describing it, you're going lower and lower. And the way I see it is like into yourself, like into that inner core, that, that part of you that is pure consciousness and, that, and you're connecting with that. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of believe that you you lower well because I sorry I have brains brain waves I'm now associating with those like going beta alpha theta gamma sort of thing um, and so I imagine that those brain waves are probably associated with no they are associated with those deeper states of meditation and you're probably you know uh, I guess your frequency, your frequency is going to be increasing as you go down because it's higher consciousness, higher emotions or like higher elevated emotions like loving, kindness, gratefulness, etc. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it, may, it makes total sense in my mind when you describe it as going deeper into yourself. Um, yeah. And who knows if we're ever going to, you know, figure out what's actually happening, but um, one, of the, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on today is because of your interest in sound therapy, sound as healing, um, music as medicine, 
And you know, we're we're here talking about frequency and vibration and some of the listeners out there, they're probably hearing that and, and they're like, you know, what is this like hippie verbiage that they're using? I'm not a frequency, that's totally solid, right? But quantum quantum physics and regular physics and um, you know, Buddhist philosophy is is now knowing for a long time that we are essentially vib- vibrating um, quarks, vibrating atoms, vibrating particles um, at all times, in all states, all at once. And it's the vibration that changes um, when we experience things like mood change or a shift in yeah. health or uh, trauma. Like that's all impacting this sort of uh, vibrational, you can think of it as like a microbiome, but with vibration with magnetic resonance. And so yeah. this, this has all been shown. This has been proven through science. The Buddhists have, have talked about this for thousands of years and they've mapped consciousness. So now we have like this modern Western scientific lens re-examining um, the properties of sound and the potential for sound to be another, like a master healer. And so I'm fascinated by, um, you know, fascinated to hear what you've been learning in your, in your certification program to be a sound therapist. Yeah, um, I like the way you described that. Um, and because that's the way that I've approached a lot of Eastern traditions is using my science and analytical background to help me understand why these things work. Because we, I've seen people go through sound therapy sessions or I've experienced it myself. And I'm like, there's something to this, like this actually works. And so now I'm just trying to, you know, rationalize in my head, how is this working? And so I definitely came to the conclusion going through graduate school, you know, the same way that we went deeper and deeper it through the subconscious mind and transcendental meditation, you can also do that in terms of, let's say, physical or matter, where you go from the cellular level down to the molecular level, atomic level, subatomic and then you go into that same field right there's there's no more quote-unquote physical but now it's all possibility it's all potentiality and so the reason i feel this is so effective and able to have such a healing uh, effect on us is because they or these instruments like my sound therapy bowls that i have um, these instruments are specifically tuned for or to interact with your field or to interact and complement your vibration. So if you could think of it as, let's say this, this bowl has a vibration that is conducive to healing, right? Or for, for cellular repair, for lightening your mood, all sorts of things like that. So as it vibrates, as it sends those frequencies, those sound waves to you, it is helping your energy, your cells, your mood, everything. It's helping those aspects of yourself go towards a more harmonious state. So like this, this is already in that harmonious state and it's, it's literally just sharing that energy with you. Um, and then as a, as a facilitator, as a practitioner, you, you also understand that your state of mind and the, the thoughts and the energy that you put out very much in the same way 
projects waves of energy that will influence the person or the client that you're working with. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's so interesting because, I mean, it makes total sense. It's like our bodies are tuning forks and uh, the, you know, the balance and the resonance that we're, we're talking about here includes physical balance and good health and things like that that people usually associate with the terms. But we're more speaking right. to like the, the resonance, the vibration and finding harmony and balance um, so that that tuning fork is like singing as opposed to uh, making this weird distorted sound because it's all out of balance. And you know, yeah. it, the, the sound, the instruments you're talking about are like, when you bring two tuning forks together and then they find harmony and they start vibrating together, they share that and they, they, yeah. they work on each other in that way. I love that. Um, I mean, for all, for all the listeners out there, like just imagine if you've ever been to a, a live concert, like that can be medicine, man. I feel amazing, yeah. really good shows. I go through emotional ups and downs. I work through traumas and memories. I, I do all sorts of healing just by listening to music um, because it's literally changing my frequency. You know, the, the artist, the director, the composer is um, using their artistry to, to share something so beautiful with me that goes beyond words, right? It's this, it's this yeah. vibratory field state. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that music aspect up because, I mean, just think about how much music affects you. Like, the uh, certain songs will make you sad, certain songs will make you really hyped up and excited, or maybe they'll make you really introspective. And that's very much the same sort of effect that these instruments can have on you. And it's depending on what you're going for, you can use them for lots of different things. But in general, it's kind of like, we're here to help you relax. We're here to help you calm down because, uh-oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. <laughs> my, <laughs> sorry, my computer just froze on me. Okay, um, yeah, the, the instruments are here to push you towards that healing aspect, right? Um, and well, they're push you push you towards that relaxation because when you're relaxed, when you're balanced, when you're centered, you can listen for that inner wisdom, or maybe you can learn about what's been causing an issue for you, and you know really just start drawing up some some things that have maybe been um, not noticeable to you because you've been so busy, or you know just doing other things. So are there specific instruments that are primarily used for this kind of like sound, this healing sound therapy? And um, because, you know, I, I find like some electric guitar, like some Jimi Hendrix, like that is, that's just like soul. That's like, I don't know, yeah. that's a part of me that's it's medicine for sure. But, um, you know, are there certain instruments? And then are there also like specific frequencies that are also sort of like, uh, what you aim for based on like, um, you know, if the client comes in and says like, I want to feel less depressed or happier, is there a certain frequency that you can help them resonate with that promotes or show them to promote specific things? So there's, the sound therapy is so broad. Um, we're talking from singing bowls like I have to didgeridoos and gongs and tuning forks even 
little symbols, like all, all kinds of things that you can use to help someone move into a more meditative, relaxed, or healing state. Um, but specifically for me, the, um, the singing bowls were taught during the certification class different protocols. So there's different protocols for different types of treatments and ailments. So if, if you are depressed, then there actually is a specific protocol for depression. Or if you do just want to relax, there's a specific protocol for those things. Um, and so, yeah, the, the certification course is a very good chunk of it is learning the protocols that are appropriate for a certain ailment. And, um, and then there, there's a lot of other things involved with that. But... Um, that that is something that you can specifically do for someone that has a certain or specific issue that they're dealing with. Um, yeah. So are these protocols um, evidence-based in Western science as well? I mean, I know they're already established within uh, Eastern medicine and, and different right. um, Eastern traditions, but here in the West, have we sort of caught up and, and published anything on that? Did they show you that in the certification course? You know, I don't think, I, I do, I know that they did not show us anything that I would consider a, a published journal, um, but there are lots of case studies. So, um, <clears throat> like, I'm actually required as part of my uh, certification to do, I think, uh, at least nine different case studies myself where I have sessions with people and I'll go through kind of like a survey of questions of before, during, after to see what their subjective experience is. Um, and then, you know, maybe I'll do some follow-up with them to see if they are attributing any of the improvements or I guess uh, declines for that matter uh, with the sound therapy. Yeah, I love that um, because uh, you know, Western science is a, is a tool, and sometimes I feel like this tool is not yet caught up to being able to yeah. measure yeah. some of these uh, more, you know, ethereal, esoteric, whatever you want to call it, type of, type of modalities and healing. Um, and case studies, man, case studies are so valuable to the literature um, to be able to explore things like this that, that the scientific method it just hasn't figured out how to do, which, I mean... They have. Uh, I don't know if they introduced you to um, the field of cymatics. Did they teach you about cymatics? No, I can't say I'm familiar. Yeah, so cymatics is a, it's an emerging field in um, science where they, they take like these um, these metal square plates and they vibrate. They put sand on them and then they vibrate them at different frequencies. And what you'll notice is that uh, when the sand and the metal vibrate at various frequencies, they form um, symmetric geometric shapes. Uh, very yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so very complex shapes, and then there's um, frequencies that will distort the sand, and it's to, it's believed that those are like frequencies that are not good for your health, or like cancerous type uh, frequencies, and then the ones that they get really complex and find that balance, find that harmony, and, and show these geometric patterns, that these are the frequencies that uh, maybe sound healers should be engaging with uh, in order to, you know, you know, things like ultrasound. Ultrasound is a sound um, 
it's a sound tool. It breaks down um, cells using certain frequencies. So we should be able to extend that technology with what we know to like, you know, move mountains if we wanted to with sound. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Um, so what, what I have heard, and I can't say that there's any sort of scientific evidence for this, but um, 432 hertz is, I guess, in the, um, the sound community is known to be a, a healing frequency, which is what a lot of these instruments are tuned to. Um, so, and I, I think it also has to do with, um, the, these are also the same frequency that a lot of chants and mantras are, are tuned to as well. So, I mean, if, if you take that as evidence, I guess it does have a bit of credibility to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like singing bowls. Uh, that's one of my favorites. And then... Man, something about the didgeridoo, like, um, especially in altered states, the didgeridoo takes me back to, um, like, that, that bottom layer, that most primal, primordial force from the field, you know? It takes me back to that goop. Um, and uh, it's just amazing. You know, I've been in ceremonies before where uh, drums have been used and other, um, you know, rattles and things like that, and some of these traditional uh, or indigenous um, instruments that have been used since, you know, since man gathered around a fire, we've been doing fire right. drum circles. Um, that has stuck with us as a species, you know, this, this use of sound, but it almost seems like we've lost the technology that comes along with sound uh, here in Western culture. Whereas, you know, in Tibet, there's accounts of, of Tibetan monks using sound and vibration, using instruments to levitate huge rocks and, and do all these amazing things. Um, but we we like lost this connection with, with the most fundamental thing, which is vibration and frequency. Right. And yeah, I, I think that kind of comes along with the loss of connection from yourself, right? I think we're disconnecting from ourselves really um, and like the symptoms of that are so obvious like the way that a lot of people treat the environment the way that they treat themselves shows a massive disconnect because if you truly were connected to yourself then you wouldn't maybe be doing these really harmful and uh, disharmonic things like you know what what your your actions are going to do is create the ripple effect and are you creating harmonious ripples or are you creating this disharmony because those are all going to come back to you and and kind of that that phrase of like you reap what you sow you know that's whatever type of vibration whatever type of attitude you're putting out there will will come back to you i love this philosophy the uh I don't know if you've seen this guy on um, Facebook. I think his name is Prince uh, EA. His email spells his name EA. Uh, but he has this video where he's, um, he breaks down the word universe. And, uh, you know, it says uni and verse, one and song. And so we're all yeah. part of this one song, this one vibration. And it all goes together so beautifully and so perfectly. But when we're yeah. trying to... Um, and we're trying to force things within that song. That's when we, we reach these uh, disharmonies and these um, yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty nuts, you know, to think of, think of consciousness and, and all that exists as, you know, one big song that we're a, a very important and crucial, but very small part of. Yeah. And like, so going off of that, that metaphor or analogy, you, in order to add harmony to that song, you would have to know your part in it, right? You can't just be throwing out random things because, like you said, that's partially where the disharmonic, the disharmonic states will come. And so I guess that just goes back to what we said about if you are truly connected to yourself, then you'll kind of know, like, what's, what's your verse? What's your note? Like, what sort of tune should you be singing in order to contribute to that greater song and that greater beauty? Right, like what contribution can you make? Um, so, I I mean, I'd like to ask you about ceremony for a little bit and please speak to your sure. question a little bit. But um, in my experiences, like being in ceremony, whether indigenous or Western ceremony, um, it has a profound effect on like being able to realign me and bring me back into that balance where, you know, I'll emerge from a teepee in the morning or a sweat lodge and um, have this complete connection with nature and everybody who was in there. And it, it's just been amazing. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you could talk about your experiences with ceremony, um, maybe some altered state stuff in there too. And what sort of, um, what sort of growth or, or insights have you gained for your personal growth process? Yeah. Um, so I've been a part of two ayahuasca ceremonies, and um, I'd have to say that one of the greatest things that I am able to take away from those ceremonies is just such a level of clarity and knowing like what my next steps are, feeling good about those next steps, what I can do to lead the life that I want to lead. And um, so as an example, um, the last ceremony, uh, ayahuasca ceremony that I went to was, I want to say like September last year. And, um, you know, some crazy things were happening in, in my personal life. Um, my grandmother was not doing good health-wise, but um, literally the same day that the ceremony, we were supposed to go up to someone's place for the ceremony, I got news that my grandmother was going into hospice care and that she didn't have much time left. And so I called the facilitator and I asked him, I said, you know, is this a good idea for me to be going into the ceremony with like how I'm feeling with this news is, is this something that could potentially put me at risk? And, um, I already had an answer formulated in my head, but I guess I just needed him to reaffirm that. And he, he basically said, you know, the, the way I see it is, is these are the major types of life events that we need perspective on and we need closure on. And if you're familiar with how altered states can benefit you and like if you're familiar with working through them, then you know that you could potentially use it 
to help you find a deeper meaning and resolution to what's going on. And, you know, that's, that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, it's going to be intense. I know that, but I think this is something that could really help me. So I, you know, got in my car and I was like, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to go do this. We're going to see what comes out of this. And as, as intense or painful as it needs to be, I'm going to stick with it because I know that when you stick with those difficult emotions, when you give them space, when you allow them to expand and then naturally contract, there's this wisdom and this knowledge that kind of like pops out from behind. And it was, it was there the whole time, but you needed to give yourself time to let those emotions subside. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, the first night of ceremony, <laughs> which was, uh, very unusual for me because I, um, I I drank the first cup of ayahuasca and the facilitator came back in an hour and, you know, he'll check in and say, are you feeling the medicine? And I, I wasn't, which, you know, isn't totally uncommon. That, that kind of happens sometimes. And so uh, he came back an hour later and said, okay, well, if you're not feeling it, would you like a second cup? I said, sure. Um, so I took another cup, came back an hour later, and I still was not with the medicine. I was not feeling any sort of work at all going on. And actually, I was starting to get a little frustrated because of that. And um, so another hour went by, and, and the facilitator came by, and he said, well, if you're still not feeling it, would you like to take another cup? And, you know, I'm pretty hesitant because I don't think I've taken that much medicine before. And, um, but again, I wasn't feeling anything. So I said, yeah, um, I'm here to really dive deep. So let's, let's see what we can dig up. And, uh, so I took a third cup of medicine, uh, 30 or so minutes later, I started to feel like a, a little discomfort, nausea, and I, I thought to myself, oh, okay, here it comes, like it's going to happen now, and I purged, um, and I'm still waiting for the medicine to, you know, enter within me, and still nothing, nothing, nothing happened, and actually the ceremony finished, and I had not gone through the normal sort of process that at least I was expecting to. Um, so that we went to bed that night and wouldn't you know it, once I'm settled down and about to fall asleep, I get smacked with a bunch of shapes and presences and just really engulfed. And pretty much the entire night I was, I was kind of just convulsing and really cold um but after that I, I had this this clarity this rush of lessons and downloads that that came to me speaking to me about my grandmother saying that this is the sadness that you're feeling the sadness that same sadness other people will be feeling and the wisdom that you've gained from sitting with these emotions is there for other people as well and they just need to know that and so 
I, um, I decided then that I was going to speak at my grandmother's funeral to relay that message to everyone that needed to hear it. Um, and it ended up being incredibly powerful for, I guess, uh, almost everyone there. Um, just letting them know that they're allowed to feel this sadness, like grief and loss. This is a very natural part of life. The, you know, the, the next step of life is that, that transition. And so for them to give themselves permission to feel that way really just unlocked these blockages that I think a lot of people have been feeling. And it, it was really nice to know that my truth that I discovered through that ceremony was able to resonate so clearly with so many other people and, you know, help, help them find comfort in a very sad and uh, grief-filled time. That's awesome, man. That, that experience and how you were able to integrate it like right away and integrate it in a way that not only benefited you, but benefited others too. I think that's so important with altered states integration. It's like the message isn't just for you, you know, it's for all humanity. Right. And, and yeah. you have to do something to, to let people know what, what you discovered. Um, yeah, it's incredible. And my first ayahuasca experience was very similar. Um, not not in that I was going in, in with, um, you know, news like that, but um, I sat through five rounds of, uh, of ayahuasca distribution and didn't feel a thing. And then the, the guy's like, well, you can have some of my personal stash. Uh, and I, I took a, a cup of his too and still nothing until that night. Um, I think it was when I was unconscious fully and dreaming. Um, that's when things started happening for me. Um, but I, I feel left kind of disappointed. And the more I talked right. to friends about it and the more I was like, you know, I really didn't get anything from it. They, they enlightened me on something that I'd forgotten that every experience is um, beneficial it's for your benefit. It has something to teach you. And even yeah. though I didn't get what I was expecting from it, um, there's still learning there. And so then I went on a quest to figure out like, well, what did I learn from this experience of not experiencing anything um, and uh, come, come to find out, you know, now I have this, uh, this new belief that, and, and an observation too, it comes from other observations that my first exposure to most uh, molecules or substances uh, usually turns out that way where it doesn't have much of an effect the first time. But my, my theory is that my body uh, takes that first exposure as sort of like an acclimation, like, getting used yeah. to how this thing is communicating with with the organism and we're forming a relationship here so then yeah. usually on, on the second time i try it and i hear this with people who try cannabis too the second time you yeah. try it your body's already used to the molecule and now it can start to really utilize it and, and use it in a way that it is intended so uh that's what i took from that experience of not experiencing you also i mean you mentioned started going on a rant here but you you mentioned this uh, other piece in the very beginning about how altered states allow you to fully expand before that contraction and healing comes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think so many people are afraid of the expansion, right? Because it's scary, it's, it's scary. emotional, yeah. it's painful, but these psychedelics hold us in this space and altered states of all kinds, meditation, dreams, all sorts, they hold us in yeah. this space where we can let go a little bit and, and expand to that 
full capacity, feel it in its most intense form. And then once you've done that, it just doesn't seem as powerful anymore. It, it naturally right. contracts. It's like a natural process that we're inhibiting by being afraid of expanding. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, it's understandable. Like you said, it's a, it's a very scary process, especially if you're not super familiar with it. If it's, if it's unknown to you, then you don't know what's on the other side. And that's gonna, that's gonna get a lot of people worked up and just not even want to go to want, not want to go there. Um, and that's kind of where we see a lot of cases of people avoiding certain issues, avoiding things in their life, ignoring or dismissing. But, you know, ultimately those things don't just go away. They'll, they'll show up. They'll, they'll hide in your subconscious. They'll come out in the way that you behave and the way that you treat people, the way that you treat yourself. Um, and so having that sort of understanding has helped me a lot in being like, okay, let's face this. Like, I don't, I don't want this to become a habit of mine that's going to negatively affect other people or cause myself or others suffering. So let's deal with this in, in the best way that we can. So let's talk about a couple of those really important layers of the mind that we need to, I guess, you know, understand more and have, uh, you know, a, a better relationship with. So you have an interest, um, or initially at least, in the subconscious and the unconscious. And these are terms that are thrown around in Western psychology as well. And they have totally different meanings than, than the, uh, the Eastern mysticism traditions have for subconscious and unconscious. I'm wondering, um, can you talk a little bit about each layer, how they're different, how people might engage them day to day, and like, how we can engage them better? Yeah, so let me let me just check myself real quickly here. Uh, I don't want to be giving out any misinformation. Uh, um, but so while, while I'm checking this out, I can speak a little bit to how the subconscious unconscious affect our daily interaction. Um, so as we're going through life, we have these things called formative experiences, right? There, there are things that help us develop views of the world and establish beliefs within ourselves to help navigate the world. Um, and for the most part, Say that again? But they're like patterns, right? That we form um, as like a means of survival, right? Like we learn the we learn until we figure out a puzzle and then we sort of cement that in as a, a pattern. Yeah, yeah. And, and cement is a pretty good word for it because uh, these formative experiences, as you're going through them, they, they will cement these beliefs into you. So to give an example, um, from, from one of the therapy books that I'm reading, uh, there's a, there was a girl and her dad and her dad wanted to teach her a lesson about trusting people. And so he had her standing on a table and he said, go ahead and jump to me. And so she jumped to him and he let her fall. And he looked at her and said, that's why you don't trust anybody. And so this is an extreme example, but, you know, for her, that's cemented in the belief 
you cannot trust anyone. And so the subconscious and con uh, unconscious mind, they took that experience, they cemented that belief into her, and now, even though she's not fully aware of it, that experience is now con not controlling necessarily, but has a huge influence over how she treats people, how she treats herself, how she goes about her daily interactions. Um, so that's kind of uh, an example for you. Okay. Um, what about, like, sometimes I get confused between um, subconscious and unconscious, uh, even though, you know, to me, unconscious seems more like, you know, when you're asleep or uh, you have a near-death experience or something like that, whereas subconscious is something that's sort of always running in the background while you're awake and conscious, right? So to me, that's yeah. a big distinction between unconscious and subconscious. One has um, some history, some reasons why you're acting that way, right? That's the subconscious, whereas unconscious, if you make an unconscious decision, there was no reasoning there at all. It was just sort of like you were in this sleep state um, sort right. of disconnected from waking everyday reality. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good description. I, I just saw some stuff that's uh, make solidifying some definitions in my own head here. Uh, the subconscious being something that might be a little more accessible to us, something that is not at the forefront of our awareness, right? Uh, it's kind of, you know, running in the background, but if we are mindful enough, we could turn our attention towards it. Unconscious are these, like, automatic and habit sort of behaviors that happen totally without any sort of awareness. Um, so, like, like, the way that your posture is, the, the tone of your voice, and the, um, the you know, your, your body language, the way you're moving or uh, juxtaposing yourself to up towards other people uh, is all indicative of the formative experiences that have been cemented into your unconscious mind. It's almost like your behavior in that way is sort of an amalgam of all these uh, lessons yeah. learned from the past, you know, but, exactly. but there's always a choice, you know, that, well, not always. Um, right. Or maybe always, you know, that's a that's a big question, too. Um, but there, I don't know, I have this feeling that, you know, we, we have we have some sense or maybe it's still an illusion, but free will um, at least exists as a concept. And, and we can lean into that a little bit, even if this is a simulation and everything is determined ahead of time. Yeah. You know, we can still feel a sense of agency over our actions and if like you said yeah. if we can recognize first like what those things are what those patterns are that gives us a huge step forward in being able to make that decision of like i don't want this anymore this is not serving right me. yeah and, and so i i would agree i think there's agency to a degree um not that it you know gives away any responsibility on a person but um so like i think the things that you're aware of you absolutely have agency over. But maybe some of those unconscious habits, the, some of those things that just automatically happen, like you know how certain people react to certain situations, they may not always have that awareness to give them that choice. But 
I think if you are able to reflect on certain experiences and bring that awareness to those reactions, then that's when you start having the agency to make changes to the unconscious habits. Um, and so that's kind of what the um, psychosomatic therapy book that I'm reading really touches on. They, they dig into the unconscious, mostly through the somatic, the body expression. Um, so if they, if they see someone that is, you know, crossing their arms and not fully looking at, at you, or maybe their, their head is tilted towards you because, while you're speaking, it could be very indicative of someone not trusting you or maybe has the habit of not trusting people because maybe that's hurt them in the past. So you use those somatic markers, they call them, in order to set up little experiments for, for the therapist. And so the, um, let, let's use the head tilting example where someone may not believe what you're telling them. And so the therapist says, okay, maybe they don't believe what I'm saying, so I'm going to set up a little experiment. And the experiments are given in the form of statements, usually. And so they ask, and, and so mindfulness is actually a huge part of this type of therapy. It's, a, it's called Hakomi therapy. Um, and so the therapist develops a relationship with the client and helps them enter into mindful states, states where they can, you know, track their emotions, track their bodily sensations, and maybe associated memories that are going along with that. And so they help them enter into a mindful state. And then this is where they will execute their experiments. And they'll give a statement such as, you can trust me. And then they wait and they see how the person reacts, whether it's a bodily movement or a lot of times it's just a, a statement. Like after the, after the statement of, you can trust me, the client might react, yeah, right. You know, they, like this automatic response comes up deep from down within because they were unable to enter that mindful state. And so what they did was they just brought that unconscious aspect out and they say, okay, let's take a look at this. Let's, let's see and dissect this a little bit. Where did this come from? How does this make you feel? What are you experiencing when you are looking at this? And so by doing that, they reveal the formative experiences, like maybe that, that traumatic experience that happened when they were you know, seven years old and they're able to bring that back and say, okay, now we can, we know where this is coming from. And now that we're aware of it, we have agency over it. And this is when we can really start to make those changes to those formative beliefs that are stored and kind of almost trapped in the unconscious mind. That mind-body connection that you talk about with the psychosomatic yeah. exploration, like, it's so important. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of Western psychotherapies uh, are focused, you know, too much on consciousness and not on the whole yeah. system, not on the holistic piece. Uh, so I, I think that's great. Um, you know, it makes me think, um, and, well, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry, my dog is like poking his head in my door right now. And um, yeah. <laughs> I think he just pushed the door open. Um, 
but this mind body connection, right? Super important. And, um, I like to explore that a lot through, again, martial arts, you know, um, yeah. constantly I'm in more of a battle up here in my mind than I am in the physical world, but that's still happening too. And so there's like multiple aspects going on and trying to master all of that, that chaos and, and still find like flow and still find, um, instead of resistance, like leaning into yeah. being flexible, finding flexibility to, uh, to manage all those things all at once. So important. Um, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I haven't heard much about psychosomatic. I know uh, about pure somatic therapies and pure um, psychotherapeutic, but I, you know, it's great that um, that they have specialty programs now in uh, that mind-body holistic uh, style. So important. Yeah, it's that's really what draw drew me to it because uh, I'm also, you know, what I was forming all these ideas about. Like the mind has this effect over the body. The body has the, this effect over the mind. Like you can't necessarily separate the two. You can't. You can't say that one does not affect the other. And so to see that there's a, a style of therapy that really speaks to that and saying like, yeah, like we're we're gonna treat both aspects and we're gonna use both aspects in order to help these people. And that holistic approach really. It, is how I like to approach a lot of different things. Well, you know, everything that I can. Um, so that's what, what brought me to it. Nice. Yeah, I, you know, the more and more I stay in uh, mental health and explore different ways of, of practicing, the more I see that um, that mindfulness component sort of bleeds through all of them, whether they use that language or not, you know, it, it becomes a practice for the, for the client, for the person receiving benefit and for the therapist um you know it's it's about like where do you divert your attention where do you place it do you place it on positive do you place it on negative do you place it on judgment period do you place it on uh, struggle and you know where do you put your attention um is it in the past is it in the future you know and, and instead yeah again taking agency over that capacity right as a human being to not just let your attention go wherever it's going to go and become you know, frazzled and, and disharmonious, yeah. but really focus and, and practice, you know, diverting your attention in a specific direction. And you'll find that you become, you know, less shakable by outside circumstances, more centered, uh, happier, more fulfilled, uh, finding more meaning in your life, all these things. Um, yeah. I'm wondering why, you know, there, there's definitely a reason why, why we still exist, right, as therapists. Um, so uh, my hope, though, is that we can get to a point where human beings realize that they don't need us. If they can access these things on their own, what a day that'll be. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I, I feel like that's one of the true markers uh, of a healer, right, is to show people that they have the ability to heal themselves. And maybe as a therapist or as a healer, your your job may be just to show them that, like show them that that's a possibility, um, maybe give them some tools to assist them on their journey. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I feel like a healer is about, is helping someone connect so deeply to themselves that they can start to have a choice about where their life is going. Um, and, and what you said about 
the attention, like where where you put your attention is where you where you put your awareness is where you put your energy. Uh, I think Joe Dispenza said that, and um, yeah, he's absolutely right because if you're putting your focus on the negative, if we're putting our focus on the the media frenzy around the pandemic and protests, like that's what's going to be going through you. That energy is going into you. And no wonder you're frazzled. No wonder you're all worked up because that's what they're putting out there and that's what you're taking in. But if you choose to focus on something positive, things that bring you joy in your life, then guess what? You're most likely going to start feeling that positivity. And the more you make that a habit, the more that those habits will start to hold you up rather than bring you down. Because if we're if we're making habits that are unhealthy or not wholesome or conducive to our health or or a good attitude, then yeah, like where do you think you're gonna go? Probably not in the upward direction. Yeah. Uh, have you always wanted to be a healer? Because uh, you said you had a, a background in chemistry too, so I'm wondering if you, <laughs> if you had this goal in some way to be a healer back then, or if not, like how how the hell did that transition happen? Going from a STEM science to a to uh, yeah. science that's not really backed by science uh, yet, you know? Yeah, um, very fair question. Um, I would say I've never wanted to necessarily be a healer, so to speak, but I can say that as I grew up, I always did want to help. Like, if I, if I saw someone that was in need, well, actually, I'll say that my my ability to see someone in need was, you know, it, it drew me towards the person. So that wanted me to figure out or helped me to figure out how can I help? How can I be of assistance? And then Hope I lost your audio. Like little experience going along in my life, but more that I realized that I was, um, and it was, it was just so rewarding to be of assistance, to be of service, and help someone relieve their own suffering. And so, yeah, like that. Ultimately, after a a healing session with a with a Tibetan monk, um, again, I, I had that ultimate state of clarity and I was just like I know what I want to do to help people and that's that's when I pretty much the next day went out to the um the Denver Museum no 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 the uh Denver Rock and Gem Mineral Show and they had a whole um a whole section of Himalayan singing bowls and I just, you know, got a, a professional set and started practicing. And wouldn't you know it, that was, that ended up being the people that I go to school with. And that's the people I'm getting the certification through. So, yeah, like all these things just kind of lining up and here I am. <laughs> Great. Um, I'm fascinated by um, the Tibetan ceremony that you went through because, uh in my own Buddhist practice, uh, I, I sort of follow an amalgam of, of different traditions, but Tibetan Buddhism yeah. is one of the most mature ones that I uh, sort of value and, and hold uh, their ideals 
Um, so I'm wondering, like, what was that like for you to go through a Tibetan-based ceremony um, where, you know, most people think of Tibetan monks as like these really peaceful people, and they really are, but they yeah. are they are psychonauts to the extreme. You know, they explore altered states of consciousness beyond what we have ever seen probably with psychedelics and things like that. So, you know, they bring that with them, this, this heightened awareness of other dimensions and, and things like that. I'm wondering, what was that ceremony like for you? Yeah, so it was intense, let me tell you. Um, so I, I can't say I know the name of his specific style that he does. Um, I mean, it could just generally be classified as, as energy work and body work. And so when I, when I heard about him, and I, am, I was imagining or expecting basically to just kind of go into a nice quiet room and he might like put his hands over me or maybe do some hands-on sort of stuff. But when I got there, <laughs> we ended up being outside in, in a really nice tranquil backyard. And um, he had me sitting down at first and then I started doing a bunch of breathing exercises, rapid breathing. And then he started positioning me in all sorts of different configurations, some of them being very uncomfortable. And I'm also continuing to do the breathing and he's also manipulating me and also like pressure, pressing into certain pressure points and things. And it was painful. It was brutally painful. Um, but, you know, not, not the sort of pain, like I'm breaking something, just it was physical pain, but also uh, it, like an emotional, energetic pain. It's really hard to describe. Um, and, and so halfway through this, and, and I'm just getting exhausted because I'm doing this rapid breathing, I'm holding myself in all funky sorts of positions. He, and, and this entire time, he is so in tuned with my body that he can sense and know and then tell me what part of my body is out of alignment. You know, like if yeah, I, had, I was supposed to have my elbow bent at a certain way and my hand placed a certain way, and the moment, just the moment that I moved any which way out of the way that he wanted me to, he was immediately on top of me and said, put your arm back, leg straight, put your neck down, and just, you know, like making sure I was staying in the specific configuration that was needed for energy to flow through my body or release blockages, etc. And uh, and halfway through this, you know, he's holding he's holding my head down, and I'm just so in this experience, and I hear him say, "I'm inside your brain," and I'm just so in it that I kind of just you know let it go in one ear and out the other, and. We finally finished the session after about an hour. And so this is the part of the session where he tells me what he saw and what he felt as he was working through me. And the things that he told me, you know, I, I don't tell my girlfriend. I don't, I don't tell these things to other people. And he was just giving out my approaches, giving out my secrets. And I was like, no wonder, like, of course he was inside my brain it, because he's telling me all the things that I know only to the truest extent for myself. 
And so that was, it was, it blew my mind. But at the same time, I was just so clear uh, after doing that work. And that's when I decided about the sound therapy path. Um, so it was a beautiful and great experience. And like you said, that everyone thinks they're kind of like these really peaceful people. And like he does have, you know, a solid aspect of peace to him, but he's a fireball. You know, he loves to talk. He loves to jump around. He's very animated, you know, so um, very much his own personality. Yeah, it sounds like he was doing um, psychosurgery on you. you know? <laughs> yeah. And I've had some experiences like that with some shaman that came up from Brazil. And now I swear it, it seems, and I, you know, I know this to be true. I was, I was watching it as it happened, but they're able to enter like this, um, this other plane, this other dimension, this other spiritual realm and see that in you too. You know, they can see yeah. right through the physical facade that's standing in front of them and they can see those elements, those, those areas of tension. And then, man, they're, they're so skillful at being able to identify them and then work them out of you on this, like this fifth or sixth or seventh dimensional plane that you have no access to, right? So <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love that kind of um, medicine work and just being able to put the trust in somebody else that they can see something that maybe maybe you you know in in your consciousness have blocked yourself from that and yeah. be able to feel yeah. that has been so immense in, in my own experience. Um, yeah, and it was it was really powerful to have gone through that experience myself because you know I've. I've seen and heard other stories, but you don't truly know until you go through it yourself and and you feel that very personal connection and you're like, wow, this is this is for real. This person is the real deal. Yeah, and that, that was part of my first um, ayahuasca experience too. I didn't have complete trust in the facilitator. I had never met them before. Right. And uh, there was a white guy and I was just like, you know, the Amazonian tradition, like, you know, yeah. so that wasn't there, you know, and I, I think that was a big part of um, the medicine sort of not not agreeing with my body. It wasn't the right time or place for, for that kind of, um, you know, through the veil type, type experience. But then, you know, I've had other facilitators that I've met only once and just right away, like, I feel like, yes, I, tr I trust you with my spiritual self, like, please, please help me with this. And, um, you know, I've, I've experienced such great healing from that kind of thing. You know, it's amazing. So I'm yeah. interested, um, what, are, what do you think about, going back to sound a little bit, um, sure. what do you think about, um, I've had this thought that, that sound, right, it works on, on the level of frequency and vibration, and there's certain frequencies we can't hear, right, like dog whistles, things like that. Yeah. I'm wondering... Um, do you think sound possibly has this ability to access other dimensions or maybe it could be used as a tool um, for interdimensional communication? Um, I've had a couple DMT experiences where I've literally seen, um, you know, little elves running around assembling matter right in front of me. And it's like so real. They know I'm there, um, you know, and they're trying to communicate, but it's on this different frequency, right? It's on this different vibration yeah. that I can't see in everyday life. I'm wondering if, like, can music potentially, like, bridge that gap between what we experience here on the third dimension to maybe mm -hmm. fourth, fifth, sixth dimensions? Um, I think it's possible for sure. 
I think it's not only possible. I just I think it is happening all the time, and we're just not aware of it. Like when you put this music out there, when you put this vibration out there, it's not just on this plane. It is already interacting with the other dimensions and potential other beings that are existing there. Um, and so part of the reason I think that is because uh, in a lot of the ayahuasca ceremonies, there's they have their own songs, right? They have their own music, so to speak, and these songs are meant to elicit different things, whether they want to dredge up things for to help you purge or maybe to help calm you down, you know. And so I think that it absolutely is interacting on these other planes. And the only time we're really aware of it is maybe when we're in ceremony or in those elevated states of consciousness that they're already interacting with. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, I agree. I had a I had a crazy LSD experience once. Um, I think I had taken three hits, uh, you know, I don't even remember when, probably last fall. And uh, I sat under the stars and listened to the new Cool album. I don't know if you've heard it, um, Fear Inoculum. And man, I felt, I mean, you talk about seeing sounds, like I could see the the, I could see the waveforms coming out of the speaker and, and floating off into the universe and interacting with things. It was a totally different experience to hear that Tool album and to hear what those artists were doing. It literally felt like they were bending time and space with, right. uh, with the sounds that they were producing. Um, I just found like this, this whole other dimension or, or depth to it. It almost like it the music came out of the speaker and took like a like a five-dimensional form for me it was yeah nominal yeah i so the way i kind of see it is that the different substances are i guess you could say helping us see and or hear through different lenses mm -hmm. and so i guess the analogy could be like there's a there's an antenna a radio antenna and you turn it to certain frequencies in order to hear that station, right? And so that's kind of the tuning mechanism is the substances. So if we take LSD, we're tuning into this certain frequency or this sort of um, wavelength. And same thing with a different substance, MDMA, ketamine, whatever. And so it tunes us into that wavelength and then we're perceiving this reality through that wavelength and so maybe what like your sort of experience could have been was you're tuned into this different wavelength and now you're seeing you know not uh, under normal wavelength it see it feels like a totally different or new experience because you're able to interact with those dimensions that are on that same frequency and it's it's extra dimensional you know that's almost like the music became a, a life force, like an organism that, that came alive. You know, it was it was more than just sound. Um, it was pure emotion. I could feel. Right, you could feel. Could yeah. feel what was coming through from the artists. You know. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Incredible. Um, I just think that you know, sound is is such an important and and fundamental aspect of of the universe that we should pay more attention and divert like more energy to 
rediscovering um, sound technologies and, and ways yeah. to heal via sound. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's there. It's already there for us. It's not like we have to like set up a factory and produce a bunch of things. Like, like we can figure out how to uh, take advantage of what's already being presented to us and what's been with us for, for ages, right? It's going back to yeah. the thing of humans. We need to re-engage with those fundamental components of reality. I think we're getting lost these days in a lot of like surface level, you know, survivalistic based, uh, you know, layers of our consciousness. People are, yeah. are afraid and so they're uh, reacting to things rather than responding, you know, with wisdom. Yeah. And slowing down so i don't know i i hope that um that we can re-engage with sound in, in a positive way for for healing the world and come together around that mm -hmm. and, you know I also, I also see that the militarized version of sound too being used in some oh, yeah. sounds to to um you know give people headaches and, and to disperse crowds and things like that um there's yeah. a, one of my favorite um I guess negative sounds that I've heard of. Uh, it's kind of funny. I think I heard of it on South Park. Is this? Uh, it's called the poop note. So it's like a it's like a frequency that that a human being can pick up on that just makes you lose all control of your bowels. <laughs> and I think like like those are like weaponized forms of sound, right? Like right. you can you can use it for destruction, or we can use it to harmonize. And bring everybody into this inclusive one song, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and I, I agree, man. I, I think people really do need to reconnect with that sound, the understanding that sound is vibration and vibration can have an effect on you. And that's kind of maybe unconsciously what I'm trying to do is help people reconnect with with sound and that understanding like the very rudimentary concept of vibration how it can move you not just physically but emotionally and spiritually yeah are you a, are you a musician in your in your life too um so i used to be a singer um i'm, I'm not very good at instruments i kind of play the harmonica but in pretty much all through elementary, middle, high school, all of grade school, I was in choir. So um, I, I do enjoy singing. I especially love chanting. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I just get a lot of connection out of that form of expression. It's, it's really fun. I'm the same way, uh, singer through middle school and, and elementary yeah. and things like that. And, uh, I only practice these days in the shower in front of my wife, um, but I too, you know, I feel, I feel more connected um, when I am expressing myself. You know, in altered states, I'll often sing too, just because I can yeah. resonance. Yeah. It feels so good to become like unblocked from this, you yeah. know, throat chakra, just like let it out. Um, mm. Such an amazing feeling. So, what kind of, um, what kind of music do you listen to day to day? Like, what's what's on your um, playlist? What's on Andrew's playlist? Um, a lot of electronic, for the most part. My my friends and I are pretty big into the electronic music scene. Um, but I have been. I used to be pretty heavy into like the 
the dubstep, uh, grimy sort of crunchy tunes. And I still do really appreciate them, but I've been noticing my tendency to gravitate towards more finesse sort of. It's still electronic, it's still groovy, but you know, the the subtleties, the nuances in the music, I'm I'm appreciating those more and I, I find myself more in uh I don't know how, just calmer, calmer sort of music. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's tougher now because, so Spotify has their algorithm of your Discover Weekly. And so now I'm just getting bombarded with all these people I had never heard of. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say specific artists now because I used to just listen to like a lot of one artist and then kind of go from artist to artist but now it's like a million different artists but a similar tone to it and a similar sort of melody that goes um but yeah so uh let's let's see if I can give an example of um like cashmere cat maybe some um uh, the floozies sort of stuff, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's definitely my music. Um, but I, I really appreciate, um, some of the, the really classic stuff, you know, just like Frank Sinatra and maybe getting into, um, oh, dang it. I just, I was listening to the song the other day. Um, ah, it's escaping me right now, but but yeah, um, the majority of my music is definitely electronic, and then every once in a while I'll kind of dip into some of those other genres once I'm feeling them. Nice. Yeah, I've been trying to rediscover electronic, but you're right. There's so much out there now. Like I remember when I was into it before it was it was high school, so it was like late '90s, and I can remember like Diesel Boy and Aphrodite and people like that. <laughs> so it's been a while since I've dug into it, and it's interesting exploring different styles and sort of seeing like what what's my jam these days um but i'm i'm tend to be more so i come from like a, a punk rock heavy metal background um that's where i really discovered music and now like like you said like uh like with your dubstep i used to be into like hardcore grunge metal but now i'm more into uh, like ambient rock or uh, yeah. punk rock where there's no words even and it's just super super intricate um very detail oriented uh nuance like you said in electric yeah. guitar and um different drum beats and um you know incorporation of of different cultural instruments and all these sort yeah. of things uh, that's really what i've really been getting into recently but i'll listen mm. to you know i'll listen to some rap some days I'll, i've been listening to uh, prince and david bowie lately uh, like re-examining those guys and their genius way back then. And um, so yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, except for country. Uh, we have a rule in our house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I wonder why that's such a common response to, to the genre of country. Um, it, there's so many people, I feel like, around in, in our area of Colorado that really do enjoy country. And, you know, I... I question myself. I'm like, what, what, what resonates in this song for for people that enjoy this this style of music? And you know, I 
haven't been able to quite put my finger on it, except for I do notice that there's quite a bit of complaining in country, like like a yearning for older times, a um, a yearning for simplicity sort sort of thing, and maybe that's what they're resonating with is like. I, w- I wish my life was simpler like it was in the olden days sort of thing. Yeah, it just, um, whenever I listen to it, it just makes me sad. Like it has this this uh, quality that, that invokes yeah. sadness within me. Like you said, like wanting um, an older, simpler time. And, you know, there yeah. are some happy country songs out there. Um, most I still don't connect with, you know. Um, but I, you know, I respect the genre because you know it is it's largely like an american thing it's it's a product of america it's something that yeah. uh, we should be proud of that the world recognizes and um you know so i still pay respect to people like johnny cash and some of the Absolutely. yeah some of the originators of country music um but just like a lot of genres you know it's so watered down today like a lot of a lot of this you turn on any radio station i just can't stand any radio station these days they just play all the the poppy stuff that, that reaches me on like the most surface level possible i don't yeah, get all the talk shows too yeah. <laughs> yeah the the talk shows i mean have almost a similar effect to me that like media frenzy does where i just am so bombarded with i don't know ig- ignorance to a degree and uh, I just feel, I feel it lowering my vibration. I feel just not great coming away from it. So yeah, I, for the most part, I don't even listen to the radio anymore. Yeah, well, it's like a diet, right? People don't think about um, what they take in through their ears and eyes as part of their diet, but those yeah, the things that you take in like have probably more effect on your frequency and vibration than you know, physical food that you take in in your diet. That That's really important too, but people I think need to expand their concept of what a diet is and think about holistic health in this way, right? Like I yeah. want to choose to only ingest things that are going to make me feel good. So I'm going to pay attention mm-hmm. to positive things in the news. I'm going to put positive things out in the world. Um, I'm going to watch, you know, um, movies that make me feel good about myself instead of um you know news programs or movies that make me feel depressed or or anything like that right yeah and so well i do think that there is like a a theatrical beauty to some movies or other things that that may you know make you feel sad but like you said and i love this concept of expanding the diet um like if you bombard yourself with those things then most likely you're going to start feeling that way um so yeah like like any diet it needs to be balanced making sure you're taking in some of that theatrical sad beauty but also that like positivity um yeah that's a that's a really cool concept and something that i definitely noticed so um Unfortunately, my my girlfriend's uh, grandfather is on hospice care currently, and so we went out last week to spend some time with him. Uh, he's got stage four brain cancer, and so his cognition is pretty spotty. You know, remembering things is kind of difficult. Um, so it was a rough experience. Um, 
but so he would he would like to have the news on and i think he would like to have the news on just because it was a habit of his something that might be comforting but i was noticing you know especially fox news which is what he was listening to it just even though i was trying to kind of tune it out as i was in that space you know i just felt felt parts of my inside just being like ah oh, i need to get out of here like i I can't continue to listen to this. I mean, I can, but it's very taxing. Like it was sapping a lot of energy from me, um, and and I was at a very I had a scarcity of energy because I was trying to provide comfort for my girlfriend and for her grandfather, you know, and they're just they're both emotionally drained they're they're tired they're afraid they're upset and they're uncomfortable and so i really had to make sure i was taking care of myself during that experience because man uh it was it was exhausting and pretty traumatizing to a degree if i'm being honest yeah, i've noticed that um even if i can manage situations like that cognitively um and, and sort of to turn them down or, or just ignore that sort of news and, and fear in the background, um, my body can still pick up on it, you know? Like, I'm not the only one listening to the news. Like, there's all sorts of microorganisms in my body that have their own level of consciousness if you're listening to that and, and um, you know, changing because of, of that that frequency, that vibration that's being put out there. So I definitely feel that same thing that even – even if you're really skilled with, with um, coping with the mind, you still got to be able to tune into that body and, and engage that mind-body connection so that you can, you can check in and, and, and say, look, I need time away from this. This is super, uh, this is really affecting my body in a, in a bad way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that whole situation, um, it, it was really good for us to to go out there um, to have my girlfriend connect with her grandfather before he passes, and and for also it was an opportunity for me to be a pillar of support for both of them, and and I'm super grateful for that um, that opportunity. As as taxing as it was, um, I learned I felt like I learned so much. Um, just spending time with someone that you knew they didn't have much time left. And so you saw all the things that were coming up from earlier in their life that maybe they hadn't resolved or maybe they hadn't dealt with. And, and it was just a good reminder, you know, to be, to be present and to deal with things as they come and as you can, because those things don't come away. And, Unfortunately, they they could maybe even haunt you into the afterlife. I wonder what sort of an effect it would have had on you and your girlfriend, but especially your girlfriend's grandfather, if instead of the news he was playing in the background, it was like classical music or something. Um, because we did. There's, we... Lots, there's lots of studies out there showing, even for like plant life or for infant mm -hmm. um, brain development, like playing certain types of music uh, it initiates uh, growth factors in the brain, right? Um, for infants and then for people with like Alzheimer's or dementia or the elderly who are sort of um, 
transitioning between, you know, this life and the afterlife, uh, I wonder what that effect could have been. So we actually did play um, classical music for him. That was one of the things, you know, we didn't always have the news on. We kind of cycled in and out of different genres and, and things. Um, I actually even brought one of my smaller singing bowls with me to, to play with him. And uh, I, I can't say for sure, but I know I was definitely feeling better when a classical music was playing. Um, and there were definitely some nights where uh, playing the singing bowls, and this is a very common effect for a lot of people, but the singing bowl either puts you into that alpha or theta brain, brainwave state, or you just fall asleep. And so it was useful for him to, to get that relaxed state and because he wasn't getting much state asleep with how uncomfortable he was. So that was kind of like one of the tools that I used to increase his level of comfort or at least help him get a little bit more rest. With your training in the psychosomatic piece and being able to pick up on like these these body cues when you when you do these like little experiments, right? And, and adding the class music in the singing bowl is like one of those experiments. Were you able to notice any other uh, maybe subconscious uh, shifts in, in uh, her grandfather when you would, you know, put that on versus during the news? Was he more angry during the news? Like, did you notice anything? Um, I, I can't say I can, I was paying certain attention when the news was going on simply because I was, I was involved with maintaining my own center very uh, intensely during like the news uh, section. But, um, but when I was playing the singing bowl or even when I was singing or chanting to him, um, his normal mode at, at that point uh, was very fidgety, you know, like kind of moving the hands around, grasping at things, moving, shifting. And so when when I was playing or singing or chanting, those calmed down quite a bit. And, you know, like I said, to the degree where he would sometimes fall asleep. So that was, that was cool to see. Um, and, you know, also just relieving because, you know, I could feel that he was being comforted at least a little bit and getting some sort of relief for himself. Yeah, again, you know, I go back to that. I think sound in so many of its different forms can be used, at, you know, even at an end of life type situation, um, yeah. you know, to, to bring comfort, to bring clarity, to bring, you know, movement of things that need to be resolved before passing on all these things. And, you know, we don't we don't hear about that. We don't hear about um, you know people engaging with these. It's 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 a little disappointing from my point of view. It's probably disappointing from yours too. Now with all this knowledge about sound and, and healing, so so I don't know. How do we? What do you think? Um, what do you think would be a good way for listeners out there who are interested in, in engaging this piece of themselves? Like, how might someone get started in? Um, maybe self-guided sound healing and then like where would people look for um, professionally guided sound healing? Yeah um, so in terms of getting started with yourself it's pretty simple like all you all you need is yourself and maybe your voice if that's accessible to you um, 
one of the things I started out doing was just simple ohms, chanting ohms. And you just chant and, you know, trying not to feel self-conscious about it, maybe go find a private area to go do that and just play around with it, you know, chant, go play with the tone, play with your mouth structure going from just from like a traditional ohm to like a and and just getting a feel for it and as you're doing that notice how you are feeling emotionally how are you feeling spiritually are you having any sort of responses bodily sensations or anything that might um, be coming up for you and so that's a that's a really simple way just to get started if you don't have any instruments if you if you don't have any training you don't really need those things to just you know, chant with yourself. Um, in terms of getting professional um, sessions or, or experience that way, you you can easily do a, a Google search. Uh, that's how I actually found the the um, the school that I'm going to now. And there, there's usually um, if you look up a school like a sound therapy school or something, they almost always have practitioners available to do sessions for you and um, that's I would say that's a very good resource is because the instructors there are always going to be very fresh with the with their practice because they're teaching uh, almost all the time so that that's one one way to do it um, looking you can search certain keywords like sound baths. That's kind of like the most common and maybe popularized term for um, singing bowls and chanting or gong therapy, stuff like that. And yeah, in almost every major city, I feel like there's now people that offer those sorts of services um, for a relatively reasonable price, maybe anywhere from like $15 to $50 for a 30-minute to hour-long session. Nice. Yeah, I, I um, want to develop and learn how to, because I have a singing background, I want to develop uh, Tibetan throat singing ability. Yeah. And that really deep uh, tonal voice. Like, I accessed it one time, um, but I needed the assistance of psilocybin mushrooms to to really mm. get into that somatic place, right? Like I have a lot of trauma in my history, so it's difficult for me, or it has been in the past, to access the somatic level, right? I'm very yeah. cognitive. And so, yeah. so mushrooms really help me to open up some of those somatic channels. And uh, just one day in the mirror, um, on a couple grams of mushrooms, you know, I, I took the risk and I tried it out. No one else was around. And I hit some of those notes that... Um, it just reverberate with me and I could feel like this immense energy building in my chest and in my stomach. And I was like, what is this? Like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get good at this thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's, that's actually something I stumbled upon myself was the, the throat singing where you're able to low, I guess, I don't want to, um, give too many specifics about it because it's different for each person but for me it felt like I was lowering my voice and then it got into this little chamber where it resonated and kind of just like vibrated back and forth and created 
it created a deeper, a seemingly deeper tone. Um, but yeah, it was just something that I stumbled upon after practicing doing ohms and, you know, moving the throat up and down, changing different configurations of the mouth. Um, and now it's something that I regularly include in my, in my sound therapy practice. I love that. I'd love to hear more of that. And like, um, you know, gatherings when people get together and, and, uh, ingest substances together. I'd love somebody to just bust out some throat singing, you know, and maybe yeah. some didgeridoo, and I would be right there yeah. in that circle just zoning out. Yeah, the, those are the, the kind of gatherings that I'd like to put together, whether we have some friends over and maybe we, um, we have some substances that we were intentionally planning on, on taking in terms of using them for connection and, you know, self-exploration. And that's kind of how I help facilitate that atmosphere is bring in some of my sound therapy instruments, do some chanting or some singing to really help people, first of all, relax, but then, you know, really get in touch with themselves and feel comfortable being vulnerable for that, that reward of connection and exploration. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and so I just have one last question for you. And, you know, I view this podcast sort of as, um, you know, a tabletop where, you know, each guest is a puzzle piece that comes as part of this 8 billion piece puzzle. And, you know, we're using this platform to sort of put the pieces together one by one so we can see this emerging picture. This, maybe, maybe it's unity through consciousness. Who knows what it's going to be? But I'm wondering, like, what if you could say anything to the audience and contribute your piece to the puzzle, um, what would, what would be something that you would add to that to sort of some, some wisdom, some knowledge you've learned that could benefit humanity? Like you said, that contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so recently I was listening to the Aubrey Marcus podcast, which uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, and so he had someone on that really, I feel like he really just hit the nail on the head and he said that if you're not sure about what your mission is, then your mission is to get to know yourself and find your personal medicine. Because once you do that, then you can share that medicine with others. You can share that wisdom. You can share that truth and help lift yourself and others up. And I, I genuinely feel like that kind of, that's definitely my purpose. And I feel like if you're unsure about your purpose, try that perspective on for, for a little while and, and see what kind of challenges come up when you're trying to get to know yourself because that's, that's the most intense and fulfilling journey I think anyone can take. I agree. And probably the most essential journey for anybody to do our time. Everybody yeah. needs to, to take an inner journey at one point of their life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Andrew, I want to say thank you again for joining the show today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and get to know you. Um, so thank you for spending the time that you did with us uh, and expanding my mind for sure. I'm sure you are sending out ripples to all of our listeners too. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this time, Shane. Uh, after hearing other people that you've interviewed and just knowing what kind of effect this could have for some people, I was really excited to have the chance to talk with you and I really appreciate you 
taking your time and kind of this, I feel like, is your medicine, your mission to help ex expand knowledge and spread the word to other people about how they can fulfill their own journeys. So I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. And um, to all you listeners out there, uh, take the advice that was spoken today. This is all knowledge for our own benefit and for our own growth. Um, keep listening. And until next time, this has been Conversations with the Mind. What an amazing show. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining me today. Even though um, we had to do it through Zoom, it was awesome getting a chance to talk to you, getting to know you a little bit better. To all the listeners out there, I hope you guys grabbed something, a little nugget of truth today to help uh, move your your life forward and your understanding of self. Um, if you have any questions for Andrew, you can find his um, website and his email in the description. Please remember to like and share all of our social media posts. As always, go talk to your friends and family about these topics and donate if you find this content valuable. There should be a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app you're listening on. So this has been Conversations with the Mind, and I'm your host as always. Until next time, this has been Shane LeMaster. We'll talk to you soon. Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored, as always, by MindOps.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. Come check us out. We're an eclectic counseling company providing both mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, and military individuals through face-to-face -face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement through mental training, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We're available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. Thank you for listening to the show, and please go check us out, mindops.com and the MindOps YouTube page.